This afternoon I preach you the Word of God we find in Exodus 20, verse 14, which reads, You shall not commit adultery. And we'll see the church's confession concerning the seventh commandment in Lord's Day 41 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find on page 556 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, What does the seventh commandment teach us? That all unchastity is cursed by God. We must, therefore, detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives both within and outside of holy marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid nothing more than adultery and similar shameful sins? Since we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit, it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste acts, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us to unchastity. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, considering that many guests and visitors who are here or who will be watching this service via live stream are not Christians and may interpret this message to be an attack on their own personal lifestyle choices, I think it would be good to begin this message this afternoon by making it very clear and publicly that the Emmanuel congregation, all of us together, have volunteer, voluntarily gathered together because we want to worship God who revealed himself in the Bible and we want to grow in our understanding about the consequences of our faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And although it is possible that some people listening may not enjoy hearing what the Creator says about our bodies, and others who are listening may not want to obey the seventh commandment, the fact of the matter is that God has commanded that you shall not commit adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit adds what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 8, that whoever disregards this call to holiness instead of impurity disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to the church. God's voice and his commandment are very clear. But the question is, how will you respond to this commandment? And that question comes to Christians and non-Christians alike. And we are very aware of the many different ways that we as a congregation are struggling against sins, against the seventh commandment. Those who repeat what God says in the Bible are not saying that they are without sin themselves. Many men and many women of all ages struggle with lustful thoughts. 
The, the statistics suggest that many of us are struggling with the sin of pornography and sexual self-gratification. Those of us who are in pre-marriage relationships may find that it is hard to keep ourselves pure and holy. Some of us may be questioning God's wisdom in limiting sexual intimacy to one man and one woman. And those of us who are married do not always have an easy time with it. And pressures from within, from that relationship, and distractions from without are causing much strain in many of our marriages. And whether we are young or old, married or unmarried, we certainly do not always honor marriage with our words and our actions. And I know that I am preaching today to a congregation, including myself, that has harmed others and been harmed by others because of sins against the seventh commandment. And it would be very easy as a preacher, as any speaker, to increase our feelings of guilt and shame by spending this afternoon pointing out what you already know about how sinful you are for committing sins against the seventh commandment. But this is not what God wants for you, beloved congregation. He does not want us to glorify the horrible work of the devil here this afternoon. But he sends preachers to declare the gospel of the forgiveness of all our sins in Jesus Christ. The gospel of the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in the hearts of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And the transforming work of that same Spirit who brings restoration to those who want to walk with the Lord. And the gospel found right in the midst of, of warnings against sexual immorality that we read together in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's found in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, being made increasingly holy. That's what God wants for you. And God ensured that believers could experience the life-transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their lives by dwelling right in their hearts to unify us to Christ, the eternal bridegroom of the church. And this has radical consequences for how we view our bodies and how we use our bodies both within and outside of holy marriage. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. The Holy Spirit dwells in the members of Christ's body. He makes us holy, he makes us humble, and he makes us happy. If you'll look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20, the passage we read, you'll see that the Holy Spirit speaks to the church about their physical bodies. And he speaks about our physical bodies as tools or instruments that were made with a specific purpose. You see, he says that in verses 12 and, and 13, just as food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, so the body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body.
the body. Now, as I was reading this passage, I, you can look over it many times and you'll see the same thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't describe what a body looks like. Although in the sixth commandment, the, the Bible warns against harming our bodies, so it's very good to seek to be healthy. The Lord doesn't give us a picture in Scripture about a, a normal body shape. And this immediately shows us that the Lord does not impose the standards and rules that we or society often impose on us. I say this because we don't always like the look of our bodies, usually because we are comparing them with an artificial picture of what normal looks like. And so sometimes people feel that their bodies are too big, and that to look like the person they think they truly are, they need to make changes to the shape of their physical body. And we see that in the, the, the very sad results of diseases like anorexia and bulimia. But sometimes people feel that their bodies are the wrong gender. And that to look like the person they think they truly are, they need to make changes to the physical shape of their bodies. But the Bible shows us that our Creator doesn't, doesn't think that way. He doesn't look at us like society might look at us. Whether you are or you look like a Jew or a Greek, a male or a female, the same rule applies. It's Galatians 3 verse 28. You're, you're saved in Christ. And then Paul says, your body... And we add, whatever it looks like, that body was made for the Lord. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The body He gave to you is valuable to Him, even when you don't treat it with a lot of honor. The body that you have been given, with all its possibilities, all its limitations, is a holy instrument in the hands of the Lord. The gospel that comes out of 1 Corinthians 6. The body is meant for the Lord. And the Lord explains that the, Lord, that the body as the Lord's dwelling place is set apart for a specific purpose. And when you're busy in that purpose that he gave you your body for, you will find that it's not compatible with sexual immorality. That's the, the theme of that passage we read out of 1 Corinthians 6. And there we see it in many different angles. It's the Holy Spirit teaches us that you cannot use your body to glorify God and to be united to Christ's body in one spirit while at the same time committing adultery. They're not compatible. A person who loves sexual immorality and does not repent from the sin will not be raised up with God by God's power into glory with him. That's chapter 6, verse 14. And that's why you see how important this question is. Then you see why God says, don't commit adultery. That's why he, as we confess, he curses all unchastity and he forbids all unchaste acts, words, gestures, thoughts, desires, and whatever may entice us 
to unchastity. The command is a saving command. God knows that sexual immorality has a more permanent effect on bodies than food. And that's the contrast that's made in the first verses that we read in chapter 6. And he doesn't want you to miss out on being united to Christ, to having that spirit dwelling in you like a temple. Then you can see why the Lord who wants our sanctification also commands us to avoid everything that makes us unholy. That's why we can see then why the Lord speaks so clearly about destroying those who destroy the temple, his temple. See, God loves your body. Your body is meant for the Lord. Not just to be used for work in his kingdom, but to be the temple in which God dwells by his spirit. God makes your body a holy place. And the gospel message for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is that God came and took up residence in your body, which he purchased with his son, with Christ Jesus' blood, and dedicated for use in his kingdom. And he didn't wait for us to make it holy. He took up residence in our bodies knowing our tendency to fall into sin, even sin against the seventh commandment. He took hold of the instrument that he had made, the body that he had made. He cleansed and he purified it by the blood of Christ And he worked in it in such a way that you begin to desire to use your body for the good things that it was made to do. It's an amazing gospel message to reflect on, even when you look in a mirror. When you are truly in Christ, says Paul, well, you can't be somewhere else. You can't be in two places at once. You can't leave a cardboard cutout to take your place in Christ's body while you leave him and join yourself to another body through sexual immorality. You yourself, your body is set apart by God and dedicated to him. In this context, Paul says, now glorify God with your body. And When we submit ourselves to God's will, it's like thanking the Lord for giving us our bodies in whatever shape they may be in, and then seeking to use it in his kingdom for his glory. This is whether we are single or whether we are married. So it has another focus. Your body is given to you for the glory of God. So the Spirit makes us humble. Besides telling us that breaking the seventh commandment is not fitting for the saints who are temples of the Holy Spirit, that's the language of Ephesians 5, verse 3, the Bible also instructs us that committing adultery is harmful to others. You see why the Lord hates all unchastity. The Holy Spirit helps us to see that sexual immorality and being driven by the passion of lust like the Gentiles. We read about in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 4 to 5. It caused us to 
transgress and wrong our brother or our sister. That's in verse 6 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Now the Lord needs to say this very clearly because people who commit adultery are acting very selfishly. They rarely reflect on the damage they are causing to existing or to future marriages. You see, betrayal has long-term physical, emotional, and spiritual effects. Lust causes human minds to view other people as if they were mere objects to, to be handled rather than, than people to be loved and, and cared for. The crushing and humiliating personal assaults of lustful uh, hearts against the, their victims, it stands as the epitome of selfishness and coldness and rebellion against God and the way that he has created the world. Most people who groom, manipulate, and abuse others are known through scientific studies as well to have very little understanding that the other person actually has feelings, has personalities, and has dreams. There are real suffering, beaten, enslaved, and desperately humiliated people behind pornography. And once again, I say this not to to shame us or to bring more guilt upon those who truly hate the attraction of pornography and sexual immorality but because I want to encourage you to see that the Holy Spirit when he resides within your heart is making you hate these sins even if you yourself committed them the Bible promises that there is forgiveness for those who sincerely, sincerely repent and seek change. And it is that hope of new life. The Spirit also works in our hearts when He shows us that there is a lot of selfishness behind sexual immorality. And so we constantly pray to God when we have the Holy Spirit. We constantly pray to God that He will take away our, our selfishness that he will open our eyes to see that other people are not objects placed there to satisfy sinful desires, but they are real human beings with personalities and desires. And the Lord hears our prayer when his spirit works in our hearts, when he makes us humble, humble servants of God and of one another. And a humble view of our own body it's very helpful when we think about the seventh commandment, when we're tempted by, by the sins or, or the sins against the seventh commandment. And so in, in the context of urging the church to abstain from sexual immorality, the Lord emphasizes that when the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies, and this is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, he says, if the Spirit is in your body, then you are not your own. That's a very powerful statement. If the Spirit dwells in your heart, then you are not your own. And so you can judge what behavior is fitting for you as a temple of the Holy Spirit 
by having the Bible open and then asking if the creator and author of, of that saving gospel message, if he would be happy to participate in what you are doing with your body. And I think most people can recognize that it would not be very acceptable to intentionally damage the dwelling place of God. We, we can think maybe of an illustration of maybe you've done it before where you, where you borrow a car. Imagine you borrowed somebody's car and then you use that car uh, to, to plow into his own house and to, to wreck, his, wreck his belongings and, and even maybe hurt his family members. But that's what sexual immorality is like. It's taking what is holy and dedicated to God and then using it as a tool against him and against his church and against his kingdom. Now when Christians break the seventh commandment, then they bring their holy temples with them into those situations. It would be like borrowing a person's car to destroy their car and their loved ones while the owner of the car is sitting there right beside you. It's the height of of arrogance, disrespect. So thankfully, when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, He helps us to see, He helps us to remember who we are. He, he, he constantly directs our attention to our King Jesus Christ. And He helps us to push away those selfish desires that really only cause harm to ourselves and to others. He makes us think about the humble use of our body. Humility is a necessary component of godly cooperation and communion with others. You need to be humble to show self-sacrificial love. You need to be humble to be a living member of Christ's body. Humble followers of Jesus Christ will not make their own body and its and your own personal comforts an idol that is more important than the well-being of others of the communion of saints and the glory of God this is very clear both within and outside of holy marriage but the desire for humble service is especially important in our marriages in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 4 the Holy Spirit states that the bodies of married couples, married people, belong to their husbands or their wife. And he uses very similar language. He says, your body is not your own. It's that attitude of humility that's so important in our relationships and the use of our own body. The instruction about marriage that the Holy Spirit gives to the church in Ephesians 5. It's only possible to keep when we are humble and eager to use our bodies to serve others rather than to harm others. The chapter, chapter 5 of Ephesians, talks about the different roles that the Lord gives to husbands and wives and how the husband is to lead in love while the wife is to submit in respect. And the illustration that is used to 
teach the church is that of a head and a body working together. One's leading, the other's following. One's loving, and the other is respecting. And both husband and wife are always cooperating and complementing one another. Well, all this important instruction, and you can read it again when you get home, Ephesians 5, verses 22 and following, it's found under the introductory phrase and heading in Ephesians 5, verse 21, saying, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The general rule in the New Testament exhortation is that there should be mutual readiness to renounce one's own will for others. The demand for mutual subjection shows that Christian submission is very closely tied to Christian humility. The Holy Spirit makes us humble in the use of our bodies, whether we are married or single. And so instead of harming ourselves or harming others today or or possibly in the future, the Holy Spirit makes us happy in the bodies that the Lord has given us, His temple. He makes us happy. He makes us content with our lot in life. It's a distinguishing feature of Christians. The world often tells us, and when I say world, I mean the media, I mean people who do not know Jesus Christ, I mean magazines, I mean commercials, I mean general government rules. They often tell us that we can't be happy unless we experience the temporary euphoria of illicit relationships and the passions of lusts. But the Holy Spirit shows us from the Word of God that all that is lie. It's all a lie. If you look to Proverbs chapter 5, you can read a very clear warning. There, the Holy Spirit warns that although, and I'm I'm reading from Proverbs 5, although the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And then Proverbs 5, verses 8 to 14, they continue, you can't satisfy lusts. In the end, they will control you, take away your honor, force you to give your strength and wealth to others, and at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. You resent that you did not follow the instruction of the Lord. It's not a picture of a very happy life. So when the world promises to satisfy you and that you can find happiness outside of God, remember Proverbs 5, remember the warning. Can kind of What they are offering can kind of be compared to Uh, plate after plate and meal after meal of delicious donuts. The person who eats them loves them and may be happy for a while, but that sugar-filled food doesn't make you feel well in the long run. 
You don't get nourishment, and if that is all you eat, it will eventually kill you. Well, the Lord saves you from the futile pursuits of this false promise of happiness through sexual immorality by giving you the seventh commandment. And then again, we see the gospel of the wisdom of God. And then the Lord also promises to satisfy you through obedience to his word. The difference is that he makes you happy for a very long time and with a clear conscience. He doesn't just give a few temporary physical pleasures while you are healthy enough, but he cares for your whole being, your mind and your body and your soul and your spirit throughout your life. He gives you a full, healthy meal along with desserts in their time and place. And so he makes you happy and content both within and outside of holy marriage. The Holy Spirit reveals that true joy and freedom come to those who are being sanctified, being made more and more holy by the Holy Spirit as they control their own bodies with holiness and honor, like we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 6. You see, God's Spirit within your body makes you happy by leading you in obedience to the seventh commandment. The scriptures promise that when a person believes in Jesus Christ, their bodies become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Well, this means that God is always with you. God is with you if you have never been married, if you are alone after having been married, or at any time you may feel lonely either within or outside of holy marriage. The knowledge of the Holy Spirit's presence, that's what fills our hearts with true happiness. God who is with us always. So you live with an audience of one. And that audience is the Lord your God who created your body, who loves you, who values your life, and who dwells in you by his spirit so that you are always able to serve him in the mission that he gave to you. Now God doesn't call everyone to be married. Marriage is not an essential part of being a Christian. At the same time, when a man or a woman is faithful to the Lord, loving God and loving their neighbor, reaching out in kindness, filling their lives with joy, they become very attractive to others. A person's faithfulness to God will often lead to marriage within God's church. In fact, when I talk to young Christians who are about to get married, the one thing that they always mention when they are asked what attracted them to their future husband or their future wife, they almost invariably say that the other person was a faithful, godly Christian. So think about that. Think about when we're temples of the Holy Spirit, what that, what that does 
to the communion of saints. Imperishable beauty. That's what Peter talks about. Imperishable beauty. It's not found among the external adornings. But it is the beauty of a heart that loves God and is filled with gentleness and quietness. Christ's bride is beautiful. You are beautiful. And you are beautiful because you love purity and holiness, both within and outside of holy marriage. You're pleasing to God, pleasing to your neighbor. And whether or not we get married to another human being here on the earth, God's Spirit dwells within us. He prepares us for the marriage feast of the Lamb. And then again, we're reminded how we've all been promised to Christ, first of all. When we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, we are united to Him. And we have a foretaste of this blessed union already in the sacrament of Lord's Supper that we could celebrate this morning. And we confess this union with Christ using marriage language. In the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 28, we say, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Our fellowship with Christ brings us into fellowship with one another. And that love between brothers and sisters in the church is more certain and will last longer than the union of any married couples on the earth. Whether you are married or you are not married, we could see that the call is the same. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Use it for the glory of God. Paul's words at the beginning of Ephesians 4 fit well with the seventh commandment. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen.